In 2012, Eleni Linus, Professor of Dermatology at Stanford University, published a systematic review and meta-analysis looking at the link between non-melanoma cancer and sunbeds. That was a pretty standard bit of research, but one of the rapid responses to it has kicked off years of work. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor here at the BMJ, and in this podcast I talk to Eleni and some of her colleagues about what they uncovered. We started with the original meta-analysis. So in that 2012 um, paper, we found that there was a clear association between tanning beds, sunbeds, and uh, common types of skin cancer. And that wasn't too surprising at the time because we had mounting evidence that that was the case, that tanning beds, UV exposure from indoor tanning was linked to both melanoma as well as non-melanoma skin cancers. And so it seems like a fairly uncontroversial um, topic for uh, for research, and the conclusion you drew was in line with what we we understood. But then you received a very kind of critical, rapid response, uh, and listeners could go and read that. It's quite long, um, and I'll link to it from the the text. Um, but when you got that rapid response, kind of critiquing what you'd done, uh, what did you think? Well, the, the, the first thing I thought was, um, do I need to double check the science? So as a scientist, you know, my first reaction was, I need to double check my methodology, double check the science, make sure that is rock solid and very, very correct. Um, and when I read through the criticism, it seemed to be um, nonspecific and as uh, as far as I could assess, we hadn't made a mistake that was um, that that changed the the finding. It, there wasn't anything we needed to 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 change in terms of the methodology of the paper. They they were questioning the methodology of of systematic reviews generally and highlighting issues that were uh, possibly uh, concerns in in all in all systematic reviews and. Um, not necessarily unique problems to ours. The other thing that that I found a little bit confusing was why this was uh, this rapid response came several years after our initial paper. I, I wasn't sure what the significance of that timing was, and that's when I I decided to get get some more advice. Um, and so I, I believe another colleague recommended I speak to Stan because they were concerned. Um, this might be related to conflict of interest and might be an intentional and, and paid uh, uh, attack or response to our, our science. Stan is a, is a leader in uh, tobacco control and tobacco research. And I had read some of his work about conflict of interest in the tobacco industry. And given I noticed that this this uh, response was uh, was linked to one of these private companies, one of these consulting companies, um, I thought he might not know more. And so I turned to him and, and probably quite naively wondered if uh, if he thought there might be uh, another reason or an alternative reason for this response. 
Lefstante Glantz is the Truth Initiative Distinguished Professor of Tobacco Control and Director of the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at the University of California, San Francisco. His work has been looking at the inner workings of industry because of the 14 million documents created by the tobacco companies about their advertising, manufacturing, marketing, scientific research and political activities that were all deposited in the UCSF library after legal proceedings. Well, the overall mission of the center is to uh, improve, to study tobacco-induced diseases, which includes uh, the tobacco industry as a disease vector, and uh, develop uh, uh, effective treatments for uh, tobacco addiction and policy interventions to uh, reduce the use of tobacco use and to help uh, counter the tobacco industry. Uh, One of the things about our center, which is uh, unique, is that we consider the tobacco industry a disease vector, um, much as you would consider mosquitoes a disease vector for malaria. And in order to control, in, in order to control tobacco, cause of diseases, you have to figure out how to control the tobacco industry. Now, this story is the way in which science, um, the way it's framed and, and conducted and reported, can be spun to a company's advantage. Um, and you've, we've learned a great deal about the way that's done uh, from the tobacco industry. Can you tell us a little bit about, about you know, how we know what's going on and, and some of the tricks that they use? Yes, well, the the tobacco companies um, uh, figured out a long time ago, back uh, in the early 1950s, that they couldn't really um, argue that the science linking smoking with disease back then it was the focus was on cancer uh, was was unequivocally wrong and that uh, smoking was good for you. And so they developed a strategy of creating doubt about the linkages that scientists were developing between smoking and disease. And the basic strategy that's used is to nitpick at every single study that comes out and use it to try to discredit the work. Um, They also... Uh, rather than doing what a good scientist would do, which is to look at the overall body of evidence in context and ask whether or not patterns develop, they take every single study and try to pick it apart and, uh, and focus down on little details rather than the big picture. Now, when you do research, details are important, but some are more important than others. And they tend to focus on the unimportant details. Finally, they've really mounted a a very broad attack on the whole scientific process itself because there is no perfect study. You know, no piece of research that's ever been done has been above all criticism. And by trying to establish standards of proof that are unreachable, they hope to hold back public understanding of a problem. 
I walked into Stan's office quite, quite unsure of whether he would, you know, he would even say this was relevant or important. And Stan, I remember your, your eyes lit up when you saw this and you called in a bunch of members of your team and you said, oh, this is exactly what we've seen before for tobacco, for cell phones, for uh, other industries. And, um, and you told me exactly what I should do. You, you told me how to rigorously and systematically examine conflict of interest in the tanning industry um, and, and how to do it so that the results would be convincing and would be uh, as close to the truth as, as possible. So that's, that's how this second uh, systematic review came, came to be. What you want to do is you want to do everything you can to avoid any potential biases of the people doing the assessment of bias into the analysis of the data. And so to do that, you come up with standardized uh, reported ways that you search the literature to identify the papers and you report that so that other people could replicate what you did. Do you uh, blind the reviewers of the individual studies who are who are looking at what are the outcomes of the of the different studies to whether or not they were industry funded and have separate people assess the presence of industry funding so that uh, you your determination of the conclusions in the paper are not influenced by whether or not the paper itself was industry funded. And so by making mm. the determination of the conclusions of each individual research paper you're assessing separately from the assessment of whether or not it's industry funded by decoupling those two assessments that avoids bias. And it's it's because this is a study of bias, you need to bend over backwards to make sure that you're unbiased in the way that you do the study. Another thing they did was had more than one person review each study independently. That strengthens the results. And, you know, again, these are standard, you know, uh, well-accepted protocols for doing studies like this. And this was was done uh, consistent with those protocols. Now, the fact that this is a well-done piece of work isn't going to keep industry from attacking it. It will just make it easier to defend. Yogi Hendlin is an assistant professor in the Erasmus School of Philosophy and a former colleague of Stan Glantz's in the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. He still works at UCSF, but this time looking at the chemical and fossil fuel industries' actions, again through a series of documents. By uh, serendipity, I was in uh, Stan Glantz's office uh, asking him about some advice for a different paper um, when he was on a... Uh, call on speakerphone with Eleni and he instead of you dismissing me as usual uh, told me to remain in the room and actually tell Eleni about the study that we were doing currently uh, with uh, Pam Ling, Manali Vora and Jesse Elias on financial conflicts of interest and the stance on tobacco harm reduction a, a systematic review um, 
which was published uh, last year in AJPH. Uh, um, and that systematic review that we were working qu for quite some time on developing the methodology, um, in speaking with Eleni and Stan, we realized that this was a very portable methodology. Um, and so, you know, uh, when it came time to write the paper again, um, we went back to that methodology and tweaked it a little bit to um, improve it uh, for this paper uh, that was just published uh, in the BMJ. And uh, yeah, it's, it's remarkable that uh, you can look at um, conflict of interest uh, and how that relates to stance uh, on outcomes across industries. And so I think this is really a very important piece of the puzzle in understanding how we can um, rebuild this trust in science for uh, both uh, the professional and lay communities. The article that Eleni and Yogi were part of is called The Association Between Financial Links to Indoor Tanning Industry and Conclusions of Published Studies on Indoor Tanning, a Systematic Review. Now that's just been published on bmj.com and it shows the extent to which the tanning industry supported papers are more favourable to industry than papers without that financial conflict of interest. So this type of uh, systematic review looks at the database on tanning from the start of each database through uh, February 15th, 2019. So that's all the articles that have ever been published on issues having to do with uh, indoor tanning. So that's a very large number. Um, after the duplicates were removed, uh, that's over uh, 1,900 articles. Um, and that led to a full text review of 836 articles. You know, to, to look at the entire scope of indoor tanning literature uh, across study styles, right? Because we're talking about uh, case studies, longitudinal studies, uh, as well as um, RCTs. And it really requires, you know, experts in the field in order to read through all of these papers. Looking at all the articles in all the categories uh, and um, only having a few of them, uh, 22, that a third reviewer um, weighed in upon when there were discrepant scores between the two reviewers really shows that there's consistency um, across uh, opinion on the outcomes of a given study. So, um, what we found was that overall, um, a small number of articles had financial links to the tanning industry. So, the the, the majority of um, articles included in our systematic review uh, were independent of the tanning industry. However, those that did have financial links to industry were much more likely to favor indoor tanning, to um, discredit harms and support potential benefits um, than articles that were independent. So if you can um, look at figure three, for example, what that shows you is that um, among the articles with financial links to industry, 78% favored tanning compared to only 4.4% 
among those that were independent of industry funding. So that difference is, is quite striking. And um, if you move on to figure four, which is the forest plot, looking at our primary analysis as well as our sensitivity analyses, what you see is that corresponds to a relative risk of 14. Um, and that relative risk essentially shows how likely a paper is to be fav to, to favor indoor tanning um, if it is um, has a has a link to the industry compared to if it does not have a link to the industry. And what you can see in figure four is regardless of which category of article we looked at, if we looked at articles published before 1990 versus after, if we looked at articles that were empiric versus non-empiric, if we looked at articles in high impact journals, um, you still see a, a significant association between the financial conflict of interest link and um, the stance or the uh, the uh, final conclusion on indoor tanning. What we're looking at here is um, it's an incredible amount of work that you've done to to pull all of this together. The methodology that you use, the the fact that um, as Yogi was saying, you pulled in you know not just RCTs but a lot of different um, types of article, um, having you know at least two, sometimes three experts in the field independently assess uh, each paper as well. You know, the, the amount of effort in there to, to unpick um, the, the effect of industry uh, has been enormous. And I suppose that must be what is partly what's kind of hampered us doing this in the past, the, the fact that this has been going on for so long. And yet, uh, you know, it's only sort of more recently that we're really paying attention to it. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's a tremendous amount of work. It's um, it's very, very rigorous, detailed, uh, you know, hours and hours of, of reading, of checking, double checking, um, uh, and a, a lot of time that went and thoughtfulness that went into assessing uh, how to categorize these articles. Um, but I, I believe that doing this work is incredibly important, not just to highlight a potential problem in the indoor tanning literature, but um, in order to highlight a potential uh, concern for science as a whole. So having, having research be independent and, and be true having science approach truth is incredibly important. Um, and I think this paper contributes to that broader issue. Mm. And Yogi, from your side, you know, this isn't the first bit of research like this that you've done. Um, I was wondering, does it get does it get easier? Are there ways in which, you know, we can be more systematic about this, make sure that this kind of uh, thing happens regularly to to really keep tabs on what industry is trying to, what messages industry is trying to, to get out there. Well, Duncan, let's make no mistake about it. It takes hundreds, if not thousands of hours to perform a study like this. Um, <clears throat> so there are significant investments of time and um, uh, effort to achieve something of, of this detail and, and rigor uh, as uh, Dr. Linoche pointed out. Um, 
However, I do think that increasingly with the concern over consensus as one of the questions um, that has been uh, uh, sort of attacked um, in the larger uh, field of, of science and in, in uh, medicine and public health, that being aware of the uh, systemic biases, especially the financial ones uh, that may uh, throw off a consensus, be it on uh, climate change, the harm of indoor tanning, uh, the harm of um, uh, harm reduction tobacco products, uh, or of various chemicals, all need to be taken into account if we're going to really be scientific about what we're doing. And because we do care about the public's health and population health, it's incredibly important that we get this right. And to get it right, we need to make sure that the research that we're looking at for such a consensus is as independent as possible. I'll leave you with a last point from Stanton Glantz. In that rapid response to Eleni's 2012 review, one point stood out to me. It said, We are currently undertaking a systematic effort to develop a consensus methodology for characterising research methods on ultraviolet radiation and human health. So the tanning industry is trying to set the terms by which scientific consensus is reached. I wanted to find out from Stan what he thought of that and if that was something that the tobacco industry had done too. Back in the early 90s, when the evidence on secondhand smoke was really piling up, um, the, um, the tobacco companies set up something called the Good Epidemiology Project. And, I mean, who's against good epidemiology? You know, who, who would advocate for bad epidemiology? But they ran a, a, a quiet public relations campaign with epidemiologists to try to convince them that any risk uh, below uh, two, that is a, uh, some exposure doubling the risk of an outcome, was by definition too small to be real. And it happened that the risk of uh, lung cancer associated with uh, secondhand smoke was to increase the risk of lung cancer by a factor of about 1.2 or 1.3. And had they been able to sell that idea, um, it would have simply defined the problem of secondhand smoke and cancer out of existence. And you know the industry really does understand how science works and there are you know there are a lot of very positive values in science of self criticism being open to criticism always striving for stronger and stronger methodologies and what industry has been trying to do over the years is take those good values and amp them up so high that you end up with unreachable standards. And then that eliminates your ability to conclude anything that the industry doesn't like. And that's the game that's being played here. Again, there is no perfect study of anything. And if you establish a standard of perfection, then you're never going to conclude anything. And that's 
you know, that's the game these companies are playing. So when you look at, at the kinds of ideas they come up with in the abstract, um, they're all, you know, reasonable and consistent with good science. When you look at them as practically applied, they have the effect of making progress much, much more difficult, if not impossible. And that's the game that they're playing. And, uh, you know, scientists by and large are, you know, well-meaning people who are public-spirited and um, think that... Uh, you know, think everybody is like them, and they don't really appreciate the fact that there are these malignant forces out there trying to push everything, you know, toward protection of private profits rather than the public interest. And in fact, one one thing we have here at UCSF is about um, about uh, almost a hundred million pages of previously secret internal correspondence from the tobacco industry and now other industries. And so we can look in those documents and see the plans for these kinds of activities and understand them from the industry's perspective. Because I can tell you years ago, back when I was in the position that Elaney is, where I was the the victim of these kinds of attacks. And I, I would say to my colleagues, I think there's something strange going on here. This, this just seems very malignant. They would think I was paranoid. And it was only when we got the industry's internal planning documents to see how systematic they were being at trying to undermine science that, you know, people said, gee, I guess you're not paranoid. This is really happening. And I think that's kind of the state we're at now in looking at this issue around tanning and cancer. Mm. And it almost feels, you know, your 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 attempt on your your characterization of industry as being a, a vector of of um you know of disease of, of tobacco uh, consumption. Um, you know, that mindset might be worth of trying to apply across tanning industry, across lots of other different well, well that uh, that's exactly right because all of these businesses are there to make money their 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 primary goal is increasing profits and the that generally means increasing consumption and reducing constraints and safety and um, in order to to counter that you need effective regulation and the regulation is needs to be science driven and so if these businesses can keep the science from being done or appreciated or keep the issues controversial for an extended period of time they can avoid regulation and keep their profits higher and that's true for i mean i've looked at uh at not only the tobacco industry, but sugar, uh, a little bit with global warming, a little bit with cell phones, and now this. And you just see the pattern over and over and over again. And uh, unfortunately, to an, an outside viewer, a study is a study, a letter is a letter, and they don't really adequately consider who's behind the work and what's driving it. And that, that's what makes this a very important paper. 
and not only a contribution to the literature on on uh, tanning and cancer, but this overall issue of industry biases and research and strategies that industry uses to undermine uh, the development and dissemination of scientific understanding of the risks of their products. That article, Associations Between Financial Links to Indoor Tanning Industry and Conclusions of Published Studies on Indoor Tanning, a Systematic Review, is now available on pmj.com. A link to that article, plus the Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis and the response which kicked all of this off in the first place. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back soon with an interview with David Williams, a Harvard professor of public health, as well as a Harvard professor of African-American studies and sociology. His work has been fundamental in looking at the health outcomes of discrimination and to be telling us all about what they are. That'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. So until then, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.